9, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. While you're turning in your Bibles, of course, I'd like to give honor where honor is due to your wonderful pastor. And I understand that his wife and children are absent today, but I love them and I appreciate them very much. Uh, it may have something to do with their last name, but I do love them and I appreciate them. There is something about the herrings. He said he was joking, but there's just there's just something about those herrings, I tell you. They're, they're good folks. A lot of new faces I see here today than the last time I was here. And that lets me know that this is a revival church and that it's a church that has a heart for souls and wants to see people blessed and changed and healed and delivered and set free in the kingdom of God. And I'm thankful today that I'm not going to heaven by myself. There's a room full of people in here today that God wants to go to heaven too. Do you want to make it to heaven? I don't want to go to heaven alone. Amen. Amen. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my high honor, my high privilege. And I, uh, I want to go ahead and tell you this, that if you do not have the gift of the Holy Ghost, and what I mean by that is if you have never spoken in other tongues, as the Spirit gives the utterance, you can leave this place filled with the Holy Ghost today. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not an apostolic thing. It's not a Baptist thing. It's not a Catholic thing. It's not a Methodist thing. It doesn't matter what the church sign says. It's a Bible thing. And the Bible is never wrong. Amen. I'm glad we believe that. And the Bible says that if you want to make it to heaven, you have to have the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Amen. And I'm believing for that today. Praise God. Are you thankful for mercy? Are you thankful for grace? We're going to talk a little bit about that today. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. The Bible says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just forgive us, but He cleanses us. There's going to be a lot of Thanksgiving festivities that take place this week. And if you have beautiful white carpet in your home and some little kid in your home spills their juice on your white carpet and it leaves a big red stain, you can forgive them for spilling the juice, but that stain is still there. The beautiful thing about our relationship with Jesus is that He doesn't just forgive our mistake. He cleanses the damage from that mistake. You'll understand my title as we move forward in this message today. But look at your neighbor and say the holiday. Come on, everybody say the holiday of second chances. The holiday of second chances. This holiday season, I want to preach to us about that, the holiday of second chances. It's the greatest holiday that anybody could ever celebrate, the holiday of second chances. Let's lift our hands and let's close our eyes. And would you just pray aloud right now? Would you just lift your voice and would you just ask God to meet us in this place? Come on, all over the house, would you do that right now? Would you just ask God to meet us in this place? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our voices all over the house. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. In Exodus chapter 12, God gives Moses some very specific instructions regarding the salvation of the children of Israel. And he instituted something called the Passover. And the instructions that he gave the children of Israel regarding the Passover was that every household is to kill a lamb. That lamb is to be perfect. That lamb is to be spotless. That lamb is to be without blemish. And they are supposed to kill that lamb. And they are supposed to take the blood of that lamb. And they are to spread it on the doorposts and on the lintels of their home. And when the death angel would pass over that land, and that angel saw the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of that home, instead of stopping by and bringing judgment and bringing death to that home, the Bible said that I will pass over that home, and judgment will not be given to that home, but rather mercy will be given to that home. That's why Exodus 12 and 13 said, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Verse 26 said, And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service that ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover? Somebody say the Passover. Who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. So this was the first Passover that God instituted. And they were to observe this Passover on a specific date, just as every other holiday is to be observed. They were to observe this Passover on the 14th day of the first month of the year. Now understand that Israel was symbolic to the church, and Egypt is symbolic to the world. And it was the blood of a lamb that saved Israel from the bondage of Egypt. This first Passover was where God set the bar for his people. It was the established mark that his people were supposed to meet every year. But when we journey a little bit further into the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 9, we find where it's time again for the people to obey the command of God and observe that first Passover that God instituted in Exodus chapter 12. And it's time for them to kill a lamb and spread the blood of that spotless lamb upon the doorpost and the lintel of their home. Numbers chapter 9 verse 3 said, In the fourteenth day of this month at even ye shall keep it in his appointed season according to all the rites of it and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall ye keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at even in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. But while the majority kept God's commandment, unfortunately there was a minority. There was 
a group of people that missed the mark that God had set. In Numbers 9 and 6, the Bible says that there were certain men, watch this, who were defiled by the dead body of a man that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day, and those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back that we may not offer an offering unto the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, but not just by reason of a dead body, but if they are in a journey afar off, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. They were supposed to keep the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. But because this select few of people missed the mark, God said, you're still going to keep the Passover, but it's not going to be on the 14th day of the first month. But Numbers 9 and 11 said that you're going to keep the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. So when man missed the mark for the first Passover, God gave them mercy and he instituted a second Passover. And today the Jewish people traditionally still celebrate that second Passover. But to the Jewish people, it is not known as the second Passover. They celebrate the second Passover known as the holiday of second chances. And there were two reasons in scripture that a second chance was needed. Number one was because they were in contact with a dead body. It was Jewish law that they could not come in contact with a dead body because it would cause them to be defiled. And we know that when we are in Christ, old things are passed away or old things are dead. And Paul said that we mortify or that we kill the deeds of the flesh through the spirit and that we are buried with him by baptism into death and you only bury a dead body unless you're in the mafia. And the second reason is that they were on a journey afar off. That's why Isaiah said that we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So we understand that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. But while not all have missed the mark for the same reason, all have at some point in our lives missed the mark nonetheless. Sometimes the old man that was buried in the blood of the lamb resurrects and we find ourselves partaking of old habits and giving in to old desires and readopting old paradigms and old mindsets and old ways of living. And other times we turn our back on the shepherd and we leave the safety of the flock because just like Isaiah said, we have all turned to our own ways and like sheep, we have all gone astray. It is when we rectify contact with who we used to be that the state of our spiritual man shifts from being dead to sin 
to being dead in sin. The mark God expects us to meet is missed when we are contaminated by death, when we are in contact with who we were before the blood of Jesus Christ. Returning to what we were before the blood causes us to possess the stench of a rotting corpse and we enter into a state of disconnection from the divine source of life, which is Jesus Christ. Some live in contact with the dead. Some live in contact with their past self while sitting on church chairs and church pews on a week-to-week basis. They're the lost coin in the woman's house. They might be in the house, but make no mistake about it, just because you're in the house does not mean you are in possession of Jesus Christ. It's still lost. Others have abandoned the fortress that is the church. They are forsaking the God-established and spiritually illuminated path, and they are traipsing through uncharted territory. And when people walk away from the safety of the flock, they view this journey away from the Father's house as one of freedom and one of liberty to make their own independent decisions and to live how they want to live, thinking that it is going to allow them to live a life of freedom. But when they walk away from the house of God and when they walk away from the safety of the flock and the safety of the father's house, they don't realize that they will now have to climb mountains that God could have moved and they'll have to navigate crooked paths that he could have straightened. They'll have to endure storms that he could have calmed. They'll have to knock on doors that he could have opened. They'll have to walk through darkness that he could have brightened and fight lonely battles uh, that God could have fought and won on their behalf. But while these men who were defiled in Numbers chapter 9, while they were defiled and they had forsaken the flock and fell short of the glory of God, they did deserve judgment from God. But there was something in them that desired to make things right with God. And Moses said, I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So it's as if God says, I know that you were supposed to kill a lamb on the 14th day of the first month, but you have failed. You've made a mistake. You were contaminated by a dead body. You were in a journey of far off. You've missed the mark. And because you've missed the mark on the first month of the year, I'm going to institute a second Passover, but this time it's going to be on the second month of the year. So instead of giving them the judgment that they did deserve, God gave them the mercy that they did not deserve. And it is amazing to me that God loved the failure that God loved the mess up, that God loved the sinner, that God loved the lost and the broken and the undone, the flawed and the imperfect so much that he was willing to reschedule a generational covenant so that their failures could be restored once again. However, it would seem likely to believe 
that these men did not miss the Passover ever again because when they didn't participate in Passover this time, they had no idea that God was going to extend mercy into their lives. They had a fear within them that God was not going to give them mercy, but that God was going to give them the judgment that they deserved. So this holiday of second chances, this second Passover, it is so much more than getting a do-over after a mistake. This holiday represents the power of repentance because they were not only repentant for being defiled by death and for forsaking the flock, but they were also repentant for missing the first Passover altogether. So in other words, their repentant spirit allowed them to be made better by their failures. The holiday of second chances It represents repentance. But it's so much more than turning over a new leaf and achieving forgiveness for past sins. It is a reminder to the people of God that it is never too late to rectify a past failing. Repentance is literally the power to go back in time and to redefine the past. Repentance can transform your past. It means reaching back to change the significance and the consequences of what happened so that the end result of your life is better than what would have been had that sin never occurred in your life. A person's contact with death evokes in him a striving for life that he never would have otherwise obtained. And his wanderings on distant roads away from home awaken in him a yearning for the safety of his home that he would have never otherwise felt. And it is then that these sins and that these failures and that these mistakes are literally turned inside out. When contact with death is transformed into a more intense longing for fellowship with life and distance is transformed into a greater closeness to home. After all, it was a repentant David in Psalm 51 who did not desire a clean heart until he fell short of the glory of God and realized the filth of his current heart. And we never read of the prodigal son returning to the pig pen because it was the pig pen that birthed within him a deeper love for the comfort of home because sometimes we don't realize the beauty of God's glory until we have first fallen short of that glory. Repentance is the opportunity to be made better by our failures. Are you thankful today for a gift called repentance? Which is why I am thankful today that I can repent of my sins. And when I miss the mark, God will look at my repentant heart and he will say, I understand that you missed this mark, but because of your broken and your contrite and your repentant heart, I am going to take that mark that you missed and I am going to move that mark over here and now you have a second chance. Now you have a do-over that because you missed the first mark, you don't have to miss the second mark. It was not man's choice to give them a second chance. It was God's choice to give them a second chance. 
So we have to understand that Satan is the tempter. Satan understands better than anybody what it is that allures you, what it is that tempts you, what it is that draws you, what it is that entices you to cause you to fall short of the glory of God and have sin in your life. And Satan tempts us through our flesh. And flesh is the vehicle that the devil uses to destroy the works of God. But flesh is also the vehicle that God uses to destroy the works of the devil because God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. When God took on flesh and that flesh was crucified at Calvary, the blood of Jesus ran red. I am thankful today for the blood of Jesus that he does not just forgive me but when his blood covers my life in the waters of baptism it causes any remnant and any residue and any remaining sin in my life to be washed away forever are you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ and at Passover in the Old Testament the blood of a lamb prevented judgment And in the New Testament, it is the blood of Jesus that prevents judgment. The reason that God gave them mercy is because he was the only one with the power to restore them. And because he was the only one with the power to restore them, he was the only one that had the right to judge them. So if we don't have the power to redeem them and the power to restore them, we are not reserved the right to judge them. Every time that we extend mercy to somebody else, what we are doing is we are sowing a seed of mercy for ourselves. That's why the Bible says judge not lest you be judged. So I am not here today as a preacher of the gospel to judge you for your failures and judge you for your mistakes because understand this that somewhere along the line as I journey through this thing called life there will come a day when I am going to need mercy for myself. So I don't care what you did before you walked through those back doors. I serve a God that is a redeemer I serve a God that is a savior. I serve a God that can restore you, that can redeem you, that can transform you, that can give you a brand new life today. And I'm preaching to somebody here today. You're all too familiar with your failure. You know better than anybody what it is that you struggle with on a day-to-day basis. And if you're anything like me, you wish that your struggle was not your struggle. You wish that your battle was not your battle. You wish that you did not have to deal with the shortcomings and the temptations that you have to overcome every single day. But I've got good news for you. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a promise from God today that if we'll open up our mouths and confess it, he will not just forgive it, but he will cleanse it. 
So when we repent, understand this, that we have to accept our cleansing instead of accepting our condemnation. I cannot tell you how many people I have prayed with in the altar that are seeking the gift of the Holy Ghost for the very first time. And I'll walk them through repentance and I'll lay my hand on their head and whenever they feel the power of God hit them from the top of their head down to the soles of their feet, they automatically begin to say, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. They are repenting over and over and over again and it never fails that every time I stop them and I say hey you've already repented for that you don't have to keep begging God to forgive you and when they understand that all it took was repentance for God to forgive them I lay my hand on their head again and it's a matter of seconds until they are speaking in a heavenly language so understand that when you confess it you do not have to carry that sin back into the present of God you've already laid it at the altar you don't have to kill a lamb more than once once it dies it dies somebody say praise the Lord because condemnation will rob you of your salvation condemnation will rob you of your future it will rob you for doing anything effective in the kingdom of God so condemnation comes from three places and it is not from God it comes from ourselves it comes from other people and it comes from the enemy but if we have repented with the prayer of our lips and the practice of our lives I want to encourage you today let's accept our forgiveness and get up from our failures and walk in the newness of life Satan may condemn me other people may condemn me I may even condemn myself but God will never condemn me because there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit I am not redeemed by anyone or anything except the blood of Jesus Christ and understand this as well that man did not get to decide the proportion of bloodshed at the Passover and Man does not get to decide the proportion of bloodshed that covers a person's past. It is his blood and he can wash you, he can cleanse you, he can sanctify you, he can cover you in as much of that blood as he wants to. He's the one that died. He's the one that went to the grave. He's the one that rolled the tomb away. He's the one that ascended into heaven and he's the one that descended on the day of Pentecost as the gift of the Holy ghost and that same God is here today and he wants to forgive you he wants to cleanse you but he also wants to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost let's clap our hands unto the Lord all over the house so the kind of God that we serve is a God that will leave the safety of the flock And whenever one of his sheep have gone astray, he will leave the 99 and he will go and find the one. That's why the woman is a type of the God that we serve that had 10 coins in her possession, but she lost one of those coins and she forgot about the nine and she went and she found the one. That is the kind of God that we serve. He will follow you to the ends of the world just to make sure that you do not die 
die and go to hell. That's why David said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the reason that you are here today and the reason that I am here today is because at some point we took a glance over our shoulder and we realized that no matter how far away we got from God and no matter how deep into sin we may have found our lives, we looked over our shoulders and realized that Jesus Christ has never left me, he's never forsaken me, he's never walked away from my life. Moses was 40 years in the desert when he looked over his shoulder and saw a burning bush. God followed him into the wilderness. Jonah was a fugitive on a boat when he looked over his shoulder and he realized that he saw the clouds brewing. God followed him into the storm. The disciples were rain-soaked and shivering when they looked over their shoulder and saw Jesus walking toward them. God followed them into the storm. An adulterous woman was about to be stoned to death for her sin until they threw her at the feet of Jesus, and she looked over her shoulder to see Jesus drawing in the sand. God followed her into her sin. Jonah, John was exiled to Patmos when he looked over his shoulder and he saw the sky split and a voice calling him higher. God followed him into exile. Lazarus was dead in a sealed tomb when he heard a voice and looked over his shoulder to realize that Jesus had followed him into death. Peter had quit ministry after denying Jesus three times and he had returned to fishing when all hope was lost and he looked over his shoulder and heard his name and he realized that Jesus was was standing on the shore. God followed him in spite of all of his failures. And on July the 9th of 2009, I was 15 years old. I was backslid. I was bitter. I was the product of a broken home. I was lost. I was numb. I was emotionless. I could not feel the moving of God's spirit in my life. And I was illegally driving and I came face to face with death as my vehicle started flipping down the highway and it tossed me around like a rag doll and I drugged myself from the bent metal. I was covered in blood but by the mercy and the grace of God I still had breath in my lungs and I looked over my shoulder to realize that in my rebellion, in my brokenness, in my bitterness, in my loneliness, in my darkness, guess what? There Jesus was and he was waiting on me. He was following me and he was letting me know you can run but you can never get away from my presence. I should have died in that car wreck, but thanks be to God that when I was trying to escape him and when I was trying to get away from him, he just would not leave me alone. And three months later on October the 19th of 2009, I grabbed the Bible and a piece of paper and I stood behind a pulpit and I preached the word of God for the very first time. Because whenever God is letting you know that he is following you, he is not doing that just so you can be a soul that is saved and sitting on a pew. He is doing that because you are marked by the hand of God and he wants you to know that before he formed you in the belly, he knew you and he has sanctified you and he 
has ordained you to do something in the kingdom of God. You may feel like your life is pointless, uh, like your life is worthless, uh, like you're a nothing and you're a nobody, but you hear this young evangelist today, I don't care what your mama's name is uh, or what your daddy's name is. uh, I don't care what your past looks like. uh, I don't care how much money you do have uh, or how much money you don't have. uh, I don't care about the color of your skin. uh, I don't care about what kind of background you come from. What I do care about is Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus knows your name. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. Every hair on your head is numbered. And he said you are of more value than many sparrows. So don't you ever doubt whether or not Jesus loves you. Let me remind you right now, regardless of what the world says, you are loved. You are valued. You are irreplaceable. There is nobody like you. And Jesus loves you regardless of your failures, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of what you've done or where you've been. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Don't ever forget that. We've got to stop saying that he is the God of third and fourth and fifth chances because he's not the God of third and fourth and fifth chances. He's the God of second chances. He spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Every time that we repent, God forgets what we did. So if we sin and we repent again, God sees it as our first time because he doesn't remember the last time. That's why Paul said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. What does that word impute mean? That word impute means to count or to compute or to calculate. So in other words, Paul was saying, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not count and keep a record of his sins. God keeps no inventory of our iniquity and he has no memory of our mistakes. That's why David said, remember not the sins of my youth uh, nor the transgressions according to thy mercy but remember thou me for thy goodness sake uh, oh Lord David was saying God I don't want you to remember me for the wrong that I have done I want you to remember me for what brings your name glory and I want to let us know today that he will forget our pitfalls uh, and remember our progress Uh, he'll forget our failures uh, and remember our faith Uh, he'll forget our stumbles uh, and he will remember our steps Uh, He will forget our mistakes, but he will always remember our ministries because with every prayer of repentance that we pray, God's memory is wiped clean of our wrong, but he keeps a perfect record of everything in this life that you have done right. Every time you said no to sin, every time you walked away from that addiction, every time you turned your back on that mistake and on that failure, every time you bent a knee at an altar, every time you You made the right choice. God said, I forgot the bad choices. I forgot the failures. I forgot the stakes. But I remember your rights. I remember your good. I remember you for everything you've done. That brings my name glory. Let's lift our hands all over the house right now. Come on, let's thank him for that holiday of second chances. Uh, I I, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect, uh, and I need to celebrate that holiday. I need to embrace the mercy and the love uh, and the grace of Jesus Christ.
One prayer of repentance can change your life. One bent knee at an altar can change your life. I see some people in this house already, you've already got tears flowing because you know that you don't deserve a second chance. You don't deserve to sit on an apostolic pew. You don't deserve to live a life of godliness. You don't deserve to make it to heaven. We'll join the crowd because I don't deserve it either. But when I think about the mercy and the love and the grace of God, he's reminding me that it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I've been involved in. It doesn't matter what my record looks like. It doesn't matter what my past looks like. Uh, The blood of Jesus still works. Uh, The blood of Jesus still cleanses. Uh, The blood of Jesus still sanctifies. Uh, The blood of Jesus still restores. Uh, And it still redeems lives in the kingdom of God. This holiday that we celebrate every year. This holiday that we celebrate every year called Thanksgiving is just like many other holidays. As a matter of fact, it's just like every other holiday. Because every holiday that we celebrate is celebrated one day a year. New Year's Day, Martin Luther King Day, Groundhog Day, President's Day, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Easter, April Fool's Day, Earth Day, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, Father's Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Columbus Day, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, and even your birthday. They are all celebrated one day a year. But we can celebrate the holiday of second chances every single day because his mercies are made new every morning his mercy is everlasting his mercy endures forever so I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter how many times you stumble and fall we serve a God that will pick you up each and every time we serve a God that is there to love you and is there to wrap his arms around you don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that there's no hope and that there's no life after your failure that is a lie from the devil but you need to say devil of hell when I fall don't you rejoice against me because I'm going to get back up and when I get back up I'll be better I'll be stronger I'll be greater I'll be more holy I'll be more dedicated I'll be more committed I'll be more powerful after my failure let's stand and love him right now come on come on let's stand all over the house He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God that wants you to celebrate a holiday. It's the holiday of second chances. Everybody make your way to the front. Everybody clear out of your seats. Make your way to the front. Nobody lifting their chairs. Make your way to the front all over the house. Everybody, make your way out of your chairs. Make your way to the front. I want us to understand something. In Zechariah chapter 3, when Joshua failed, God looked at Satan that was resisting his efforts to be restored. And he said, I want you to understand something about this particular one. He may be a failure. And he may have some filthy garments on his life. 
But I want you to know he's not just a man. He's a brand that's plucked from the fire. In other words, God was saying, I know he failed. But I'm reaching into the flames. And I'm pulling him back out. But understand this, a brand that is plucked from the fire can only be used to its full potential if it rests in the hands of the owner. So God was saying, I'm not just pulling him out of the flames. He's now in my hand. Because the value of an object is always greater in the hand of God than it is outside of the hand of God. Let's take tithing, for example. I'm not giving you a sermon on tithing. I'm just giving you an illustration. That's your pastor's job, so don't take it that way. 100%. The 10% that you give to God is more valuable than the 90 that you keep for yourself. Why? Because the 10 belongs to God. It's always more valuable when God is the owner. That's why the woman took it so seriously. Even though she had 10 coins, she lost one of them. And she left the safety of the nine. And she lit a candle and she swept the whole house because she understood even though it's just one coin, that one coin does have value. But its value can never be used effectively and efficiently if it's not in the possession of an owner. And I'm preaching to people under the sound of my voice today, you feel like God has forgotten about you. You feel like you've made too many mistakes. You feel like you've been involved in too many things. You feel like you've got too many skeletons in your closet and you have contemplated in your mind that you're going to walk away from the house of God. But I am begging you today, even though you're broken, even though you've failed, even though you have made mistakes, you can be broken as long as you are broken in God's possession. I would rather be a failure in the kingdom of God than a success out in the world. I would rather experience pain in the house of God than pleasure out in the world. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So what we're going to do today is we're about to lift our hands and we're going to close our eyes and collectively as a body, we're going to repent of our sins. And I want you to understand something. When you repent of your sins, the Bible said that He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. But not just to forgive them, to cleanse them. You say, preacher, how am I cleansed? I'll tell you how. It's called the waters of baptism. Whenever you're baptized in the name of Jesus, that blood that He shed washes you from the top of your head down to the soles of your feet and you say preacher how in the world can I have a new beginning after my repentance I'll tell you how you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues if you don't have the Holy Ghost in here today you've never spoken in other tongues today is your day and I promise you that if you'll step out after we repent as a body God will fill you with the Holy Ghost so all over the house let's lift our hands let's close our eyes and we're going to repent right now repent all over the house If you don't know how to repent, just say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. But you've got to mean it. The sincerity of your repentance determines the effectiveness of your repentance. So reach way down deep and say, God, I'm sorry. Say, God, I'm sorry for my failures. I'm sorry for my mistakes. I'm sorry for my wrongdoings. And I'm not just going to pray a prayer with my lips. I'm going to turn from my sins. I'm going to turn from my iniquity. I'm going to turn from my transgressions. And God, I'm going to run towards you. I'm going to walk in the direction you want me to walk in. Come on, just a few more moments. Let's repent all over the house.
I don't want to single anybody out. I don't want to single anybody out. But if you have never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, be honest. If you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, would you just stick your hand in the air? Would you just stick your hand in the air? Anybody, you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I see a few. You don't have to raise it high. That's okay. I see a few. Does anybody believe God's about to fill some people with the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the very first time? I tell you what, all over the house, let's lift our hands and let's just begin to pray right now all over the house.
Let's rejoice over God feeling one with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. People are still praying. Let's not stop. Let's not stop. People are still praying. Oh, dear. 